0: Praise the Lord for this day to be together in his name. We're going to be reading out of John's Gospel, chapter 16. So if you have the church's Bible in front of you, it'll be on page 1245. John, chapter 16, page 1245. Well, we are stronger today than we have been. Um, I am so grateful to see each and every one of you. Um, April is not with us. She has a few sick kiddos at home. Uh, we have many who are not here who are traveling. Uh, Bill, the Placentias, and, um, and many others who are not here. But I'm so glad for each of you that are here. So we're going to read just one verse today. Uh, chapter 16, Jesus Uh, If your Bible has red letters in it, it's mostly red letters because Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is just after the last Passover meal and just before he would be crucified. So he's sharing a lot of things with his disciples that are very important. In verse 33, read with me. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This seems like such a simple verse that is quoted often. There's three words in here that are very important, I think. It says that, that, that there, Excuse me. there are three words. The first is peace, the second is tribulation, and the third is overcome. It says that you may have peace, Jesus offers each of us peace, but it's not a promise. I think that we imagine that scripture promises us peace. So when, when tribulation comes, we're frightened and we're concerned and, uh, and we don't trust in the Lord because we assume that peace has been promised us. But read that first part with me. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. This is an invitation. Jesus is inviting us today to receive his peace. The next thing it says is that in this world you will have tribulation. Now that is the promise that Jesus makes in this verse. That that there is a fact that we will have trouble, that we will have peril, that we will have difficulty. Finally, Jesus says, be of good cheer. He has overcome this world already. This action has taken place and is taking place. Jesus has overcome this world that we are living in. He has overcome all of the trouble and all of the tribulation and all of the peril. So because of that fact, we can be of good cheer. This week, this month, this year, this decade has brought all the tribulation I think we are prepared to tackle on our own. And so I think Jesus invites us today and says, when will it be enough for you to receive my peace, for you to trust that I have overcome this world? I pray that we would join him today. Lord God Almighty, these words are so powerful. This is the good news. The good news that you have overcome this world and that you have offered us salvation, that you have offered us peace, and I pray that we would receive it today. I pray that as we sing these songs, Lord, that we would give you great praise for who you are, I pray that as we hear your word this morning, that we would receive it. That we would hear you calling to us, and that we would come into your arms. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
1: There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive.
2: Well, I um, loved the songs this morning, and I particularly love that last one, Waiting Here for You. And I couldn't help but think about as we come here to hear his word today and for him to speak, that's exactly why we're here. We're waiting on him to speak. And what a great and exciting place that is. So I'm always, I study all week, and and um and look forward to the words that he has but I'm always anxious to hear how he brings those words forward because um, it's him that comes and chooses to speak and to bring those understandings that he's drawn us into or drawn me into through the week. So if you'll open with me in your Bibles we're going to be on uh, page 1228 We're, of course, still in the book of John. We're working through the book of John. Last week, we started chapter 6. We're going to continue in chapter 6 of John. So, on page 1228. While you're turning in your Bibles, let me just refresh us a little bit. We remember that last week, Jesus found himself talking to a multitude of people about 5,000 men were counted so there's no telling how many people estimate 10, 12, 15,000 people with um, wives and children that might have been there and he has three loaves Well, my goodness, (laughs) that, I don't know, Lord, that didn't come from you. He has five loaves of fish. Well, my goodness, Lord, would you correct every word and bring things under your authority in Jesus' name. He had five loaves of bread, and he had two fish. And as we studied last week, those important numbers help us to understand what he is saying To the multitude. And we saw that the five is a reflection of God's law. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's referred to as the law or even as the Torah. And I love that understanding because as we look at this today, we're going to come back to that understanding. Torah actually means instruction for life. And so these five books of the Bible were a reflection of how to live, of of God's holiness, and how these people were to join up and walk in God's truth. Then the two fish represented the Psalms and the prophets, of which all speak of Jesus. We looked at that a little bit last last week so as Jesus comes and he's teaching and feeding this great number of people and we saw that the 5,000 people actually represents God's grace and his mercy that he is going to pour out on these people and he filled them up until the point that there was 12 baskets left over and the 12 baskets represents God's government his spiritual authority as we see in the 12 tribes of Israel and we see in the 12 disciples so as we continued to study through that place last last week the last verse we ended on is Verse 14, so let's read that together today and that will help us start into our message for today. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, this they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So they saw Jesus performed this mighty place, a miracle. But I believe that what what John is telling us is that it wasn't the miracle that brought them to understand that he was a prophet. In fact, one of the scriptures we're going to look at a little more today is in verse 26, if you'll skip down to it. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, and that's that place that's verily, verily, but it also means amen, amen. He's saying, this is the truth, it's the truth, that I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What I believe Jesus is saying to them is that you, you were hungry, I fed you out of my truth, out of my word, and filled you up. And you don't even understand, but that's why you're following me. So I want to look at this. I think this unfolds a little more for us. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. This is an important verse because we see that what has happened is all of a sudden they go, oh, my goodness, you're the prophet. You're the one that Moses was writing about. And and they're so excited that their mind immediately goes to what they want. It is such a picture of how we are with Jesus. Immediately, they wanted him to become the king. You see, there was a lot going on, and Rome was uh, holding them in somewhat captivity and, and being authoritative to them, and their life was not how they wanted it to be. And so they wanted Jesus to come and to take over the kingdom and that their life would be easy. So it's amazing to me as Daniel was given this scripture this morning, I thought, Lord, you're so amazing how you just allow these words to all come together. There's going to be tribulation, but what they wanted was somebody to come and fix it for them. And they thought, you're the prophet that Moses was talking about. Surely you can come and make our lives work for us. Make things easier for us. But it says that Jesus knew that, and so he slipped away by himself. Why? Because that was not God's plan at this time. If they truly had grasped all of the understanding that God had placed in his law and his prophets... And, his, and in the Psalms, they would have understood that Jesus had come to be a suffering servant, to be a servant. One day he will return as king, but here, this time, he was to come as a servant to die for the world. It just reminded me so much of how... We see God or Jesus do amazing things in our life, and immediately our prayers turn to a place of our needs and what we want for him to do for us. Verse 16 says, Now when evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had, and Jesus had not come to them. All right, last week we talked a lot about the symbolism and the understanding in the numbers and what they represent in God's... Uh, teachings to us i want us to remember we've looked at many things but you have to read god's word looking for the spiritual understandings in things not just the physical understanding so it's very important that we grasp what john is writing to us here and it says uh, in verse 16 that when the evening came his disciples went down to the sea the sea is a very powerful understanding In the spiritual world, the sea was considered to be a very dark place. It was full of chaos. It was even considered to be destructive and demonic. I want to give you a couple of scriptures to back that up. So if you'll put your marker here and let's look at Genesis 1. It's on page 1. Genesis 1, page 1. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The deep, this is the waters. This is the water. And what does it tell us about that? It says it was without form. That word without form actually is chaos. So you can understand what is being said here. It was out without being formed together. It was just chaos. But then it goes on and says, and it was void. It was totally empty. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Destruction, evil, sinfulness, demonic. This is the picture that they are helping us to understand that when they went down to the sea, this is how it was. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. Uh, Let's look at Revelation 21. It's on page 1424. This is talking about when Jesus returns and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, it's on page 1424. says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there is no more sea. No more sea. Why would that be important? Because it is a picture of this understanding of the darkness, the chaos, the emptiness, empty without God's presence. There would not be that place here anymore. Demonic. All right, let's grab one more. Let's look at Revelation 13, and it's on page 1417. Revelation 13, page 14:17, verse 1 says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. So the demonic is rising up out of the sea. It helps us to understand. Now, if we go back to John, with this understanding, as the disciples are going down to get into the boat, this is what they're, they're aware of, their understanding of the sea is. And then it says, they got into the boat. That's another wonderful understanding. So boat really to the early Christians symbolized even the church but I'm going to say it symbolizes God's people but it even has greater understanding than that it means journey it means safety it means refuge it means protection and it means security from the chaos we might be familiar with the boat Noah built, the ark that Noah built. And he was in this great flood that brought destruction and death and chaos. But the boat was his security and his protection. And it's a picture to help us understand when we're looking at the word boat that God is trying to tell us there's something here about his protection, about his provision, about his security in the chaos of our lives. So then it says in verse 16, uh, 17 that they got into the boat and went over to the sea, went over the sea toward Capernaum. Helps us to understand a little more about the sea. And it was already dark. So he's saying even outside the, the sun has gone down and it's dark. And so they're in this dark area and it's very dark around them. It's a very dark situation. And then it says... And Jesus had not come with them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So the sea rises up now and the wind is blowing and they're being tossed back and forth. The chaos is happening. That's what they're trying to help us to understand. Then verse 19 says, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Okay, right here where it says, So when they rowed about three or four miles, if you look this up, that's really not the Greek understanding of this of this. Um, of these miles. A better understanding is 25 to 30 stadia. 25 to 30 stadia. And it's so funny because when I was reading, the Lord said, "Look those up." So I began to look up and he he wanted me to understand there's something in this 25 to 30 stadia, the real Greek Writings did not have three to four miles. So in order for us to understand what he's saying here, we have to look at the 30, 25 to 30. 30 means a dedication to a calling, a dedication to a calling. You might remember that Christ began his ministry at 30 years of age. King David began his reign over Israel at 30 years of age. The Levites began their priestly service at the age of 30. God's calling and God's plan is what is being Brought to our understanding, he's saying, I'm doing something right here in these disciples that are in this boat. I have a calling for them. So he's helping us to understand that. But he says that Jesus they uh, saw Jesus walking on the sea man can i just love it can you see the authority right there Jesus is walking on the chaos he is walking on the demonic without any problem but when he dra- he's drawing near to the boat it says they were afraid they they weren't sure this is not doesn't make sense to us we've never seen somebody that can walk on water now they just saw this great miracle that Jesus fed 5,000 people, but this is a new miracle that's needed, and they've not seen someone walking on the water, so they were, much like we would be, in a treacherous situation, afraid. Afraid. But looking from it where we are looking from it today, we can see God is working in this situation. God knew the sea was there. He knew they were going to be crossing the sea. And he provided a boat that would be their security and their safety knowing Jesus is is in this situation. We see also that God is doing something to draw them into the calling that he has for them. Verse 20 says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, if you write in your Bibles, you can mark that out. That is not what the Greek says, and I don't, can't give you any great understanding of why in the world they would have said it the way they did. But what it says in the Greek, it says, do not be afraid, I am. It says, but he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid, I am. I am. What he is saying in this place is so powerful and they knew it and we need to grab hold of it. Because what he is saying is, I am. My existence is beyond anything. I am. is my favorite name for God in the Old Testament. So leave your marker here, and let's go back and look at where this understanding comes from. Let's look at um, Exodus 3. It's on page 63. Page 63. God is talking to Moses and he's telling Moses that he's going to use him to lead the children out of Israel. I, I mean I'm sorry, out of Egypt, out of the captivity. So I want to look starting in verse 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. He was saying he is self-sufficient In existence. Nothing ever created him. There was never a time when he wasn't. And there will never be a time when he's not. It's the understanding of that he was and he is and he will be. It's the most powerful understanding to me, and yet I can't grab hold of what it even absolutely means. But what I understand is that it means more than even I can imagine or understand. It's before time he was, it's after time he will be. I am. Go back to John to your marker. And I want you to understand a little bit as he's talking here to these disciples in the boat in a difficult situation. He is telling them, I am. He is declaring he is eternal. He is declaring that he is God. Sometimes people say, they say, the Bible, Jesus doesn't ever really totally say that he's actually God. And, and it's so interesting to me. He says it all the time. But we have to have spiritual ears to understand. If he said, if I said to you today, I am Deborah, you would be like, okay, that's fine. That's who you are. And you would know, this is me. But when he states, I am they know exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I am God. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am before existence and I am after anything will ever be. When everything else is gone, I am. And before anything was, I am. I am. He is saying to them, I am the covenant God who has been with your people all these times. I am. They knew this story. They knew how, the, how Moses had come and led them on the authority of God out of captivity of Egypt and they knew that the one who had sent him was I am. It's a powerful place. But I thought about, as we find ourselves in struggles, and we find ourselves in trials, the very scripture that God gave Daniel today says, but you can have peace in that trial. And the reason is, is because I am is with you. If you are his child, if you are his follower, if there is a calling on your life to walk with him. You see, this calling is not that somebody has to be a King David. The calling is not that someone has to be in the Levitical priesthood. The calling is to each and every one of us that will truly come and receive I am Jesus let's go on and read in in 21 because this completes my understanding here it says then they willingly received him in the boat they willingly received him. You see, they saw who he was. He is God. And in this trial, in this tribulation, he is here. And I can have peace if I receive him, if I receive who he is. Then it says the most awesome thing. It says, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Immediately they were at their destination. Immediately God caused another miracle to happen right here for their their very scene. Jesus is there and walking with them. They receive him into the boat, and immediately they don't have to row anymore. They're just immediately where they're supposed to be. I love this understanding spiritual. You see, if you've ever been in a situation where it is desperate, it's a trial, it's not going like it should, and you need Jesus to help you, and you cry out to him to help you, and you see he is with you, and you grab hold of who he is, immediately you're out of the desperation. Immediately you're out of the darkness. Immediately. You can be with him in his destination for you. The trials might be still going on around you, but you can be where you're supposed to be. I love this place. It says, On the following day, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples had entered. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus." And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? (laughs) So people are standing around on the side, and they go, Listen, we saw the disciples get in that boat, and we saw them leave, and Jesus didn't get in that boat, but now Jesus is already here. And they're going, How did you do that? Who are you? Now, these are the same people that have figured out that he's a prophet. But they're still trying to put all the pieces together. And I love how Jesus answered this place. And he, said to, he answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. I think this is so powerful if we really understand what the spiritual significance of this is. He's saying, listen, the signs are great and they do lead you towards who I am. But what is going to sustain you and what is going to fill you up is my word, my truth, the law, the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets. My word is what's going to fill you up. He goes on and he says in verse 27, he begins to to talk to them a little more. And he says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So he says to these people, he says, listen, do not work, do not labor, do not work for the food which perishes. But he says for the food that's everlasting, that has everlasting life in it. So he's taking this understanding of, of, the, of, of the truth and he's enlarging it. He's saying, do you not see, don't work for just food to, to fill your stomach with but to grab hold of these truths that I've been teaching you. And I want to remind us right here, he says, which the Son of Man will give you. The Son of Man, do you remember that? We looked at that in in Daniel chapter 7, and he is referred to there as Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. And What it was is a vision that Daniel saw, and he saw a man, human, is what Daniel is saying. He's saying he's human. Oh, let's look at that. I love that. Let me find that for you. Um, Daniel chapter 7. Let's look on page 1031. Um, No, 1029. 10:29 Because the reason I want you to understand this is throughout the gospel Jesus is referred to over and over again as the son of man. Most of the time that he's referred to as the son of man, he is referring to himself as the son of man. So that's really something we want to understand why is he doing this and so what he is saying and looking at verse 13 and chapter 7 he says I was watching in the night I, I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. He's prophesying of Jesus. And so when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's taking their understanding back to this place, and he says, I'm the one. I'm the one Daniel is writing about. I am fully human, but fully God. And he goes on to say right here, he says, because God the Father has placed his seal, his authority on this situation, on this plan, on Jesus. You remember Jesus is the plan, the word. And God is placing his seal On what's happening. Says in verse 28. Then they said to him. What shall we do. That we may work the works of God. So Jesus is saying. Do not work for this food. But work for everlasting. And so they're just like us. We're always going, I, I don't understand what you're telling me, Jesus. How many times has Jesus tried to lead us or guide us or tell us something? And we're going, I don't understand. I think they're still there. They're trying to put it together. They, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. He's saying the only work you have to do is believe, trust. Not just believe that he is Jesus, but to trust that he is God in the flesh. That God has placed his seal upon him. God has sent him. Therefore, they said to him, What what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? So they're still trying to say, What else will you do for us? What else can we see here? Verse 31 says, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, well, this is the sign that God did for us or for our fathers. He brought bread down from heaven. And if you remember, they were, the Israelites were coming along in the wilderness. They were hungry, and God brought them quail, and then they started grumbling, and they didn't have anything to go with the And God brought uh, bread from heaven and fed them. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, there it is again. He's saying, Listen, amen, amen. This is important and this is truth. I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he is saying, Listen, Sure enough, Moses was the instrument through which God worked. But it wasn't ever Moses who brought this bread. It was God. And in this place, he's saying not only that, but this place is now that God is sending the true bread from heaven. I want us to look at this place for just a minute. So turn with me to page 79, Exodus 16. Exodus 16, verse 4. I want you to see something very important right here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. This word for bread, this word for bread is a place and an understanding of the manna that was being rained down. It was debar. This word quota, what they were gathering up every day, this word quota was debar. Their their word, Debar, for their bread every day, that they would go and gather up God's word. Debar means his word, his truth, his understanding. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And, And every day it says that I may test them. So they're going to gather up the bread They're this debar every day of God's word for a reason. It says that that God will test them that they will walk in his law, whether they will walk in his ways or not. And if you look across, it says in verse 16, it says, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to his own need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So he's saying, everybody in your household, you've got to have some of the word of God for them to feed them. It's interesting to me if you look down at verse twenty. It says, "Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses." So there were some people that did not listen to Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it and it bred worms and stank. So they didn't do it as Moses said, and it had worms in it and it smelled bad. The bread. God's main support, life supporting, being able to feed us when we're hungry. Turn with me to Matthew 4, it's on page 11 14. Matthew 4, 14. <clears throat> Jesus is in the wilderness, and let's actually turn back a page to 1113, and in verse 3, it says, now when the tempter, Satan, came to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. You see, Jesus has been there for 40 days. He's hungry. He's hungry. And Satan says, listen, turn these stones into bread if you are the son of God. But Jesus answered him and said in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he's helping us to understand that again. There's, you're not going to live By the physical bread alone, you're going to need the very word of God. You've got to have the very word of God. I want to look at one more. Deuteronomy 8, it's on page 211. It says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way those 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He's testing us to see as we're in this wilderness of this world, if we'll walk in his ways, in his word. Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to, to live by the, your everyday bread and what's sustaining you physically here. It's not going to be enough. You've got to have the very word of God. Let's go back and read. In in John, where you have your marker, let's look at 32, verse 32 again. He says, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's Jesus. He comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're they're still not understanding. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, I love this word life right here because we want to look at this and we go, yes, when we we get to eternity, he, he will fill us up in eternity. This word life is zoe and it means both physical and spiritual it's not just a spiritual place he's saying you cannot even live physically well without my word you need this in this world and you're going to have that in the spiritual kingdom it's a physical and spiritual understanding. He said, I am the bread of life. You need me now. You need me here. In verse 20, 35, he goes on he says, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But, he, but I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He said, you've seen these places, you know these places, but yet you're choosing to not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will be by no means cast out. You want me? Come to me. Come to me. I will not cast you out. Verse thir- 14. 38 says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the will of the father who sent me that all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Want to know what the will of God is? It's right there. It's right there in verse 40. And this is the will of God, him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. It's this word that begins here in the physical and goes through into the spiritual. It's not just everlasting life that when you die, you now go into everlasting life. That has never been Jesus' understanding. Jesus' understanding is that you are in the middle of chaos and you need a boat. And if you'll receive me, you can get everything. I will get into your boat and I will bring you to the destination that your heart's been longing for and that is peace. And then he says, and I'll raise him up in the last days. It won't be just this world, but he will raise you up for eternal life. The Jews then complained about him. Because he said I am the bread. Which came down from heaven. You see they understand what he's saying. He's saying that word I am. We're going to look at seven different times. That Jesus uses this I am statement. And he's saying this is who I am. I am God. I am the bread. I am the word. Verse 42 And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They're saying, listen, we're not necessarily buying this. We know better than this. Oh, my goodness, I hear people today. They go, well, this Jesus, you know, he's probably a pretty good guy. But, you know, we don't really buy into all this. It's right where they are. Now, at one point in time, they said, he's the prophet. So what happened between a few scriptures ago when they said, this is the prophet? And they go all the way over here to see him again. What happened? That they're now going, "Mm, I'll tell you what happens. As we start testing ourselves in a place to go, do I really believe that? Is that really true? Ah, do I really want to buy into this Jesus thing? And before we know it, the enemy has placed so much doubt in our hearts. We can't see the truth anymore. Verse 43 says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is a challenging understanding that gets twisted. A lot of times, a lot of people teach that God predestines who are going to be called. That is not what the rest of the Bible says. Jesus died for the whole world. So how do we balance this out? What do we do here? Let's look at this again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. You see, I believe God is teaching each and every one of us. He was teaching them when he fed them. He was teaching them and they saw, but they did not choose to learn. They did not choose to retain this place, to hold on to it. They allowed their thoughts to join up with the enemy that says, are you sure? God draws each and every one. But the second part means that you have to choose to learn. It says everyone who has heard, yeah, God brings the opportunity to hear but then the next place says and learned he chose to receive is what i want to tell you it's this place that we saw over here in the boat we learned something we hear now are you going to receive it and bring jesus into your boat verse 46 says not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your Father ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. He said, that was a, a, a sign a, a leading to who I am, but it wasn't the fullness. It was just a sign leading you to be able to receive. They all died. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread for which I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. You see, he gives himself freely to the world. Now, in this place, he says, um, I am the living bread. You know, he is, he is the living bread that's come down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give him is my flesh. He's referring to the time when he's going to be crucified, when he's going to be beaten, when his body is going to be given For your sin. For what you deserved. What I deserved. Verse 52 said. The Jews therefore quarrelled among themselves saying. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them. Most assuredly I say to you. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man. And drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh. And drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, were, who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When I get to verse 66, every time I read this, it breaks my heart. These are the people that saw him as the prophet. These are the people that saw him do mighty signs and wonders. These are the people that were journeying with him, were talking with him. But it got too hard. Because Jesus began to say it, Say, so you've got to eat all of me. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to consume all of who I am. Every part of me, not just to the things you like about me, not just the things you want me to do for you, not just when you are in a desperate situation and you cry out and pray to me to fix something in your life. That is not what's going to be able to happen. You're going to have to have all of me, Jesus is saying. You're going to have to have every part of me, the things that are difficult, the things that are hard, for the world to understand. It says, from that time, when it got hard, when they didn't like what he was saying, when it was too much, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. This word disciples here strikes me as something really challenging. That is a follower of Jesus. Just as I was saying, they were followers. They were your church goers. But it got too much. And they left. And they followed him no more. What a great and wonderful message this is it doesn't have to end in this place for you or for me I like being back over here seeing the sea the chaos the darkness that's all around us the thing that's engulfing us the thing that's frightening to us But in that place, we can choose to see Jesus and receive him into our boat. And immediately, you will find yourself at your destination with him. I pray that this would be a place that each one of us would look at our lives and see exactly where we are. Are we truly eating of the bread, of who he is, of his word? Are we following in his ways? Are we following his commandments? Jesus is testing us to see where we really are. Are we the people that are going to turn away? Are we the people that received him in our boat? if you're struggling today in this world of chaos and you are looking to receive Jesus in your boat, I pray that you would find one of our elders and you would they pray with them, they would pray with you that you might, could receive Jesus. Stand with me, please.
3: Who could stand Amidst the wind and waves Except the one who made them to obey Who could see In the midst of suffering But those he has redeemed and called by name If I stand see it through, if I stay the course and make it down to such an end, to leave heaven and befriend the ones you made. And only you will endure me through it all. Though the things of earth may fall, you will remain. If I stand and see it through I stay the course and make it all. If my heart is overwhelmed with peace in the storm, it's all, it's all because of Christ. So if I stand and see.